0: At first, it was just one sheep per day, but as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more, until... Until one day, a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas.
1: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. First, I want to say that in writing the sermon, I'm indebted to the book Blessed One, Protestant Perspectives on Mary, edited by Beverly roberts Caventa and Cynthia L. Rigby. Second, you might remember that I preached on Mary before. A couple of years ago, Anne, our interim rector, referred Mary's feast day, August 15th, to a Sunday when she was going to be away and asked me to take that Sunday. I said then that I was somewhat apprehensive, and although I feel better now, the infallible doctrines about Mary were, among others, the reasons I left the Roman church. This was a very difficult decision on my part. In sum, two different popes had declared infallible the assumption and the Immaculate Conception, which, by the way, is not the virgin birth, but Mary's own conception in her mother's womb without sin. You had to believe them to be a good Catholic, but I saw these doctrines at the time as putting Mary on a par with Christ, and I decided to be a good Protestant rather than a bad Roman Catholic. When I was in seminary, my father was sick. He couldn't sleep, so when I visited, I would stay up with him. One night, my mother was asleep next to him. Now my mother, for whatever reason, hardly ever prayed directly to God, but prayed to Mary and Anne, who in the tradition is the mother of Mary. My father asked me why I left the Roman church. These conversations were not my favorite. (laughs) So I said something about Jesus. I said something about the Bible. I said something about women's ministry. Finally, I said I didn't believe in the doctrines about Mary. My mother woke up out of a dead sleep pointed at me and said, I believe all the things about Mary, every single one. And then her eyes closed and she fell back to sleep again and was snoring. It was pretty impressive. But if some believers invest too much in Mary, Protestants may not invest enough. Mary is brought out in the Christmas season and then put away. We need a more holistic picture of Mary. Of course, we always want to emphasize that there can be only one mediator between God and humanity, 1 Timothy 2.5, and Marian devotion can seem to threaten the clarity of the gospel message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Also, not even with Mary can we compromise on the insight that there is nothing any person can contribute to his or her salvation. Mary herself can't be sinless. As Gaventa and Rigby write in their introduction, Mary is who we are. She is a person of faith who doesn't always understand, but who seeks to put her trust in God. She is one who is blessed not because she is sinless or has keen in her insight into the things of God. To call Mary blessed is to recognize the blessedness of ordinary people who are called to participate into that which is extraordinary. We are all called to be as Mary, Theotokos, God bearers to a broken and sinful world, even as we are broken and sinful ourselves. Today's gospel is the Annunciation. The angel Gabriel is sent by God to Nazareth to Mary, who is a virgin engaged to Joseph of the house of David. No lineage is mentioned for Mary. The text says nothing about her piety or social standing. Gabriel says, greetings, the Lord is with you. Mary wonders what is going on. She is confused and ponders what sort of greeting this might be. Gabriel says not to be afraid that she has found favor with God. Mary will become pregnant and bear a son named Jesus jesus will sit on the throne of david he will reign over the house of jacob and his kingdom will be everlasting mary is confused again and asks the angel how can this be since i am a virgin gabriel explains the holy spirit will come upon you Mary says, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Mary's unsolicited consent to the divine word establishes her as a model disciple who discerns God's activity even in the midst of circumstances that place her far outside social convention. Just as Elizabeth's infertility was a sign of shame and humiliation, Mary's yes before her marriage to Joseph puts her at risk of the same. It threatens her marriage and she's even at risk of being stoned as an adulterer. Mary is brave and strong. In the next section of the text, Mary undertakes a trip to see Elizabeth who lives in the hill country several days away. There is no mention of a chaperone. She goes on her own. It is there with Elizabeth that she sings the Magnificat, our canticle for today. It is impossible to downplay its significance. The only Extended speech in all of Luke Acts attributed to a female, it casts Mary as a prophet. In the tradition of Hannah and her namesake Miriam, Mary celebrates God's unfolding salvation of her people Israel and God's compassion for the lowly, represented by Mary herself. All generations will call her blessed because God is her Savior. God has scattered the proud, brought down the powerful, and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The vision of justice that Mary prophesies is a great reversal and is central to Jesus' mission in Jesus' parables and in Jesus' teaching on discipleship, where he reminds us in Luke 18.27 that what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Jesus is God incarnate. That means the impossible is happening to Mary as we ourselves affirm. The virgin birth, is in both the Apostles and Nicene Creed. We are not to get caught up in the biology of the virgin birth. On the right, it is used as a test of the literal interpretation of scripture. On the left, it is denigrated because it's not scientific. But as Karl Barth wrote in his Dogmatics, we are not to focus on the how, but view it as mystery and miracle. It is not, as some would say, because sexual activity is sinful or Mary has to achieve some sort of sexual purity. Sexual activity is no more sinful than any other human activity. It can be sinful, but it's not inherently so. Rather, it points to the incarnation and the word of God made flesh. This word was with God in the beginning and is God. As Conventus states, quote, as the gospel's way of insisting that Jesus had a human home, the mother of Jesus signals the scandal of Jesus' humanity. Through Mary, the word becomes flesh and thereby gives offense to the world." for often giving biological proof of the incarnation, the virgin birth proclaims that God makes a way out of no way and brings into existence that which was not there before, Romans 4.17. The Reformed Doctrine of the Incarnation is summed up in Gabriel's, The Lord be with you. That Mary was full of grace does not mean she was created without sin in order to be worthy of giving birth to the Son of God. For God enters a world that is unworthy of the presence of God, a world that is sinful and broken. God does not encounter Mary or any of us as ideals, nor does God transform us into ideals, body and soul, flesh and spirit, human beings. We are like Mary in need of the power of God as we seek to give glory to the one who sustains and saves us in grace. Mary is called not into perfection, but into discipleship. That's where we find Mary as an ordinary disciple. It was not always easy for Mary to be a disciple. When, as a 12-year-old, Jesus separates himself from Mary and Joseph and stays in the temple three extra days speaking, Mary says, Child, why have you treated us like this? They have been searching for him with great anxiety. Jesus simply says, why are you searching for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Mary and Joseph do not understand him, but Mary treasured all these things in her heart. When in Luke 18, 19 through 21, Jesus is told that his mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see him, he doesn't go to see him but says, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Being a disciple is greater than maternity When in Luke 11, 27 through 28, a woman in the crowd says to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nourished you. Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Remember, the grace of God is costly to God. The communion of God is not held together by cheap grace. Christian discipleship too exact a cost. And we see this in John's gospel when Mary stands at the foot of the cross. That certainly had to be painful Jesus entrusts Mary's care to the beloved disciple and the beloved disciple becomes her son. The Christian ministry of men and women has its basis in the commission of the crucified Lord exemplified by his own self-giving love. As Daniel Miglior states, Mary exemplifies Christian faith and discipleship in her location at the foot of the cross, and in her ministry with and for others. For Protestant Christians, Mary is not the one to whom we pray. Rather, she is our sister in faith, the mother of God with whom we pray, that God's grace empower us for God's own work of ministry. May we finish this Advent, which will be in a couple of hours, as Mary did, and open ourselves to the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.